good at making vaccines to control infections. We can't always do that, but we often can do that. And so now the two greatest success stories, I would say, in the history of interventions to combat cancer have been discoveries that cancers caused by infection and development of vaccines or other methods to reduce transmission so that now we don't have the cancers developing because we prevent them. And that's far more effective than trying to rely on anti-cancer compounds that have a lot of bad side effects. Their efficiency is not often very good. You're providing people with maybe, sometimes you can provide them with many years of life, but often it's more of a question of a, a few months or a year or two. They're very uncomfortable kinds of treatments. Mm -hmm. So the general rule in medicine is if you can prevent something, it's much, much better. It's the you know ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and worth a ton of not very effective treatment. Mm -hmm. It's a question of uh, Darwinian evolution, too. It is. Uh, because I suppose that if it was just genetic factors, I mean, if there were these malfunctioning genes, they would eventually get weeded out of they the human population. They do tend to get weeded out. They tend to get reintroduced. Cancer occurs later in life, so the pressure to weed them out is not as strong as it would be if they were introduced early in life, but some cancers are occurring early in life. So you have that role of evolution acting on humans, which tends to be sort of a slow role, but those effects of that selection pressure acting on humans have been responsible for generating some of these barriers to cancer that we've been talking about. But it's very important to realize that one of the most important ways in which evolution is acting is on these viruses. Because if a virus is transmitted, let's say, by sexual contact, and people are changing sexual partners, let's say, every three years, that virus, once it infects a given partnership, that virus essentially has to stay viable for another you know, few years if it's going to be successful. So it has to have ways of avoiding the immune system. And one of the best ways for the virus to avoid the immune system is to live inside of a cell, make it divide, expose very little of the virus to the immune system. So the fairly shocking outcome of all of this thinking is that even though we don't know the full scope of infectious agents that cause cancer, we can be pretty sure about how many of them are transmitted. So they're likely to be transmitted by sex and actually by kissing as well. You're saying we get cancer from sex? Well, indirectly. That's, I mean, that to me is sort of the jaw-dropping conclusion. So celibate people are not going to get cancer? Oh, well, then? it depends which cancers you're talking about. Because not all disease organisms that are causing or suspected to cause cancer are transmitted by sex. And it's a complicated story, but a disproportionate number of those organisms that are causing cancer are transmitted by sexual contact of one sort or another. The more partners you have, the more likely yes. you are to get cancer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true for cancers that we know about in terms of their causation, that like cervical cancer or head and neck cancer, which is caused by the same virus that causes cervical cancer, but is transmitted by oral sex. So there are a lot of things that are, you know, a lot of bits of information of practical importance for many people that come out of this kind of research. But also for many cancers, sexual contact is a risk factor, but we don't know what is transmitted by sexual contact. We don't know why it's a risk factor. So for prostate cancer, the number of sexual partners a man has had in his life is a risk factor for developing prostate cancer. 
So that implicates some sort of sexually transmitted pathogen. And, and you, you said kissing as well. Yeah, as kissing. A risk factor. Right. So uh, what we know is there are some viruses transmitted by kissing, uh, including the virus that causes the disease that we refer to as the kissing disease, infectious mononucleosis, Epstein-Barr virus, that is known to be causing some cancers and is suspected in a variety of other cancers. And it looks like other pathogens that are at least candidate pathogens for causing cancer are transmitted at least in part by kissing. How long might this take? I mean, through if the virus is first contracted through through sexual transmission. Are you Depends. talking years later? Yes. That yeah, generally, it's, we're this. talking about years, sometimes less, but generally we're talking about years to decades. So unfortunately for you and me, uh, the value of this information is greatest for young people, people just before puberty or maybe just after puberty. If they know this information, then they can make decisions about their you know, choices of partners and, and also their protection if they're engaging in sexual contact, that is very likely to reduce the probability of being infected with a cancer-causing virus that eventually causes problems, perhaps decades later. So it's a very long-term kind of benefit, but it's something...